0: Let me ask you if you would to go ahead and take out your Bibles and let's open them up to the book of Romans in chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We are returning to the great 8 as we work our way verse by verse through the book of Romans and our joyful task this morning is to finish our look at this paragraph, which has been our focus for the last several uh, months. Uh, This morning we are going to be focusing on uh, the second half of verse 17, but I'd like us to read once more the paragraph in its entirety. So let's begin reading in Romans 8, verse 12. Let me remind you that this is the Word of God. Now Herman, do you see the glory in view at the end of this paragraph? Uh, Jesus was risen from the dead with a glorified, perfected body. Jesus ascended into heaven where he was given all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus enjoys communion with his Father. He lives forever in his Father's special presence. The greatest happiness that you and I have ever known cannot compare with this. And Jesus is experiencing this joy of being glorified, reigning in heaven, communing with his Father. He is experiencing all of this, not only as the divine person, second person of the Trinity, But he is experiencing this as a true human being. He is experiencing this also as a man, as one of us. This glory that Jesus is now experiencing is being held out to us. You and I have not obeyed as Jesus did, (laughs) we have not been faithful and holy the way Jesus lived faithfully and with holiness. We have not earned God's favor the way Jesus earned God's favor. All we have earned is God's righteous wrath. Jesus earned heaven by perfectly obeying the law. We have earned hell by our disobedience to the law. But the good news of the gospel is that when Jesus obeyed, he obeyed not only for himself, but he obeyed as a representative of his people. So that every person who believes on Christ will find that Jesus's victory is theirs as well. Jesus is the firstfruits, Jesus is the elder brother, Jesus is the firstborn. These are all language that the Bible uses about our Savior. To say that if we are united to him by faith, we will get to share in his glory. Christians have been adopted as children of God. We are now fellow heirs with Christ. We get to enter into his inheritance. Dear Christian, this frail body of yours is one day going to be raised from the dead and perfected. That soul of yours that is still so prone to sin is one day going to be made perfectly holy. The promise of the Bible is that you are one day going to walk streets of gold in a world where heaven has come to earth. And above all else, you are going to know the uninterrupted, pure, sweet fellowship Of your father forever. You will commune with God Almighty as father and child. You will see his face. You will live in his glory. This is what it means to be an heir of God. But the second part of our verse, the second part of verse 17, is something of a warning. Do you see it? You see, Paul is writing this verse to encourage Christians. Uh, He is writing these verses, this paragraph, to, to spur us on in our obedience and in our faith. But he knows how crafty the devil can be. And he knows how prone our flesh is to deceive us. And Paul doesn't want anybody to read this letter and to assume that they are an heir of God when they're not. Paul knows that people can be fooled about their relationship with God. How many there are today who believe that they are right with God and headed for heaven, but instead will find themselves cast into hell at the end? So Paul adds this helpful warning for us. We will be glorified with Christ. We will be glorified with Christ provided we suffer with Him. But if you do not suffer with Him, you will not be glorified with Him. If you are not suffering with Christ, then you are not an heir of God. You are not a fellow heir with Christ. You are not an adopted child. You are not a Christian. You are not a saved person. I know there are many who want to have their cake and eat it too. They want to use Jesus as a ticket to heaven, but they don't want Jesus to cost them anything. They want some assurance in their heart that heaven is going to be their home. But their heart remains fully set on this earth and enjoying the delights of this world. You see, the false believer knows little of sacrifice and self-denial and suffering for Jesus' sake. But notice how Paul words this verse. He says, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. In other words, these two are forever connected. You do not get the glory without going through the suffering. The one leads to the other. There is no back door to glory. If you want the crown, you must carry the cross. There is no other way. Mount Hermon, here is what God is teaching us. In the second part of verse 17, he is teaching us that the road to salvation is a road of suffering with Christ. The road to salvation is a road of suffering with Christ. Now maybe you're thinking to yourself, that's not what I signed up for. But friends, this is what Jesus offers to us. This is what the invitation of Christ has been from the very beginning. He has told us, if you want to go to heaven, follow me. Follow him where? Well, the same direction he has gone. (laughs) Jesus was the first to go down a path of obedience to his Father that cost him dearly. The Son of Man had no place to lay his head. The Son of Man was hated and plotted against by the religious leaders. The Son of Man was ridiculed and mocked by the Romans. His own friends forsook him. One of them betrayed him at his death. And then in faithful obedience, Jesus endured a Roman cross and the very wrath of God poured out upon his soul. Jesus' body was laid in a tomb and it was only after that that Jesus was glorified. And now Jesus says to you, follow me. Matthew 16 verse 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Here is how the true children of God are distinguished. Many will profess to follow Christ But the true children of God actually follow Christ through suffering. They follow Christ through self-denial, through sacrifice, and through hardship. The sun comes up and beats down on the plants. Those without real roots will be scorched and will die. But those who have roots running deep into Jesus, those who trust Christ, those who love Christ, those who draw nourishment from Christ, they endure the suffering and survive. It is those who endure to the end who will be saved. So let's examine ourselves. And let's see if we wear this badge of sonship true sons and daughters of God suffer with Christ? Is that you? First, let's ask what kind of suffering Paul has in mind. Some have suggested that Paul is speaking here of the suffering of persecution. True Christians are willing to endure persecution. They may be mocked for following Christ, They may suffer the loss of a relationship or lose opportunities at work because of their faith. Christians may find themselves under the penalties of local authorities, beaten, imprisoned, even killed for their faith in various parts of our world. This very day, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who fear violence by militant Hindus in India or jihadist Muslims in the Middle East. Mount Herman. We can say with certainty that not every Christian is called to endure the same degree of persecution, but all of us who follow Christ for any time at all will run into our God-appointed share. Our degree of persecution might be much smaller than some of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Indeed, some of us might see what some of our brothers and sisters experience and then compare them to us and think what we experience isn't persecution at all. But I assure you, following Christ will cost us. If you are serious about following Jesus, you're going to make decisions that people around you will not understand. Or like. Even others who think themselves to be Christians will ridicule you because of the choices that you make as you seek to be faithful to Jesus. Our Savior endured persecution first. He endured it worse than any of us ever will. And he told us Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Those who suffer persecution for following Christ are blessed. They have a reward in heaven. They have the honor of being counted alongside the greatest prophets of old. Here is a mark of those who are destined for glory. They endure the suffering of persecution. And so I ask you, though it may be to a small degree, is that you? Has following Jesus ever cost you in the eyes of men the way others that you love treat you or relate to you. But we cannot limit the suffering of verse 17 to persecution only. Because as we read the rest of Romans 8, we see that Paul has all sorts of suffering in mind. Paul knows that hardship and heartache comes in many different forms. Near the end of our chapter, Paul lists some of the different kinds of suffering that Christians can face tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, the sword. Paul elsewhere speaks of his inward suffering because of his great concern for the churches of Christ, how he longs for them to grow in holiness. Paul himself knew what it was to suffer being deserted by his friends, finding himself alone. Jesus did not only endure persecution, he was a real man who endured all kinds of sufferings that are common to life in this world. Jesus experienced moments of sadness and grief, moments of heartache and inward agony. He knew what it was to have friends who were sometimes more hurtful than a help to him. Jesus knew what it was to be weary and to long to just get by himself and be with God. He knew the suffering of the ordinary trials of life. And even through these, he calls us to follow him. But we cannot stop there. Yes, this suffering of verse 17 includes persecution for Christ. Yes, this suffering of verse 17 includes other kinds of suffering that are common to life. But remember the context of our verse. Paul has just been talking about the importance of putting to death the sins in our lives. Paul has just been talking about the reality that being a Christian means practicing self-control and in obedience to God, having to say no to yourself on many occasions. Real Christianity means self-denial, submitting yourself to the will of Christ when His will crosses your will. And that can hurt And that can be painful. There is real suffering as we go to battle against the sin in our lives. Jesus was blameless and undefiled, but he knew what it was to be tempted. He knew what it was to duel the devil in the wilderness. The devil's weapon was these deceitful promises. Jesus fought back with the word of God. Think about Jesus after 40 days without food. The devil starts talking about how easy it would be for Jesus to turn these stones into bread. And we're told that Jesus was hungry. And we can imagine his stomach just rumbling as Satan tempts him. But Jesus' allegiance was to his Father and his Father's will. And so he denied himself. He would not turn those stones into bread. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, he said. Jesus trusted his Father, and in order to do his Father's will, he had to deny himself. Let me ask you a question. Jesus says to follow him. Does this mark you? Do you know the suffering of self-denial? Have you ever had a moment when it hurt you to deny your flesh and to follow Christ? Are you examining yourself? Can you point to many times in your life when you have denied yourself, trusted your Father more than the allurements of this world or your flesh? Have you been faithful to Christ in such a way that it has led you down a path of suffering persecution ordinary trials self-denial we must be very careful here examining our lives is important work we don't want to be deceived heaven and hell are at stake in this work we don't want to think we're an heir of God if we're not and we don't want to think we're not if we are so let's make sure we examine ourselves carefully So notice that verse 17 doesn't simply say, if you suffer, you will be glorified. That is not what the verse says. The verse says we must suffer with Christ. If you suffer with Christ, you will be glorified. Dear friends, this is what distinguishes us from the rest of the world. This is what marks Christians out from unbelievers. This is what distinguishes sheep from goats, wheat from chaff, saved from lost. All people suffer. All people everywhere suffer from time to time. But heirs of God suffer with Christ. That's the question, church. Are you one who is suffering with Christ that you may be glorified with Him? So what in the world does that all-important two-word phrase mean? What does it mean to suffer with Christ? Well, I think the Scriptures point us in at least two directions. First, certainly to suffer with Christ means to follow him in suffering as he did we must suffer as christ suffered we must walk the road he has walked so that though he suffered at a different point in time than us we can say we have suffered with him now understand i'm not saying that you're going to suffer as christ did in precisely the same way you cannot suffer precisely the same way that christ did You cannot leave heaven and come to earth. Your existence began here on earth. You cannot endure the wrath of God for sinners on the cross the way Jesus did. The suffering that Jesus experienced on the cross was unique. No one else in the history of the world has ever suffered the way Christ did on the cross. No one else ever could suffer in that way. He was the one and the only spotless Lamb of God. They could be sacrificed in that way. So when I say that to suffer with Christ is to suffer as he did, here's what I mean. Jesus humbled himself before his father's face. He trusted his father's will and he endured all that the father brought his way. Jesus submitted to the will of his father. Even when it hurt. Are you suffering with Christ? Do you know what it is to submit to the will of your father? Even when it hurts. Not as I will, but as you will. Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane. To suffer with Christ is to come alongside Jesus in praying that same kind of prayer and living that same kind of life. Father, I do not know what you might have in store for my life, but I know that you love me and I know that you are wiser than me and you are good, so I'm going to trust you and I'm going to seek to be faithful to you through whatever suffering you choose to bring into my life. The suffering is going to hurt. I know it's going to hurt, Father, but if this is the path you've chosen for me, if this is the way you've chosen to bring me to glory, then I will seek to run with my eyes on the prize and be faithful. When we walk through life with this attitude, with this heart of faith, Submitting to God, whatever difficulties he brings into our lives, that is suffering the way Christ suffered. That is suffering with Christ. It's following him. But there is a second answer to what it means to suffer with Christ. You see, we suffer with Christ when we suffer in union with him by faith. You see, you and I are not going down this path alone. Christ really is with us. Christ dwells in us by his Holy Spirit. In his divinity, Jesus fills all places at all times. He told us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. To suffer with Christ is to walk through the sufferings of this life believing that He really is with us as we suffer. I don't know what trials you might have come into your life tomorrow, but you will have a choice as you face them. You can either see yourself as alone, on your own, having to face those trials in your own strength, using your own wisdom, making your own way through them, Or you can face the trials that come into your life tomorrow as a Christian. Knowing that Jesus is with you and you are not alone. That this trial in your life is no surprise to your Savior. It is a part of His sovereign plan for your good. It is a part of His plan to make you holy. You can remember that He has promised not to bring any trial into your life. That His grace is not sufficient to bring you through. And rather than depending on your own strength, you can go to your Savior and ask Him for a supernatural strengthening of your heart and soul so that you will have the will to do the right thing in the midst of the storm. You go to Christ and you ask for courage and you ask for resolve. And you look to Him for wisdom. How should you respond to this trial? What is the right course of action? He is your wonderful counselor and his word will show the way. This doesn't mean that the trial is going to be any less severe. It doesn't mean that the trial is going to be any less hurtful. But what a bedrock of peace and joy we can have when we know that we are suffering with Christ. You are not on your own and you will not sink in the mire of your problems. Jesus has a strong right hand and as you look to him, whenever you begin to sink low, he will pull you up again. He will set your feet on solid ground and keep you moving. You are persevering in the faith. He is preserving you in the faith. And so I ask you again, Do you wear this badge of sonship? Do you have this mark as a child of God? Do you know what it is to suffer with Christ? I know you know what it is to suffer. I know you have been hurt in the past. My question is, do you know what it is to suffer with Christ? If you do, you will be glorified with Christ. If you do, verse 17 is for you. It is a precious promise. But dear friend, if you do not know what it is to suffer with Christ, you are in grave danger. If you do not know what it is to suffer with Christ, you are still in your sins before a holy God. Well, there's one more question we must deal with, especially for anyone here who might be young in the faith. Those who have walked with Christ a long time, I think, will already know this well. But if you're young in the faith, sometimes people stumble over this question, and it's this. Why must our path to heaven include suffering? Why must our path to heaven include hardship? Why must we bear the cross if we're going to have the crown? Doesn't God love us? What kind of father delights to see his children suffer? What kind of a loving God would ordain for his people to go through pain before he exalts them? Kind of God is this that we're serving that says we must bear a cross before we can have the crown. Test yourself. Can you give an answer to that question? Our God is good and He is wise and He is not cruel and He takes no delight in the suffering of His children. But it is because he loves us and he loves the lost that he has ordained a path of suffering for us. And here are the two great biblical reasons why God has decided that we must bear the cross before we can have the crown. Number one, he is fitting us for heaven. And number two, he is displaying his glory in our lives for the satisfaction of his people and the salvation of the lost. Take them one at a time and we'll be done. Number one, the scriptures are clear that God has ordained suffering for his children because it is through our suffering that we are refined and made holy for heaven. 1 Peter 1 6 through 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, dear Christian, you and I are covered in sinful dross. There is still a lot of sin in us. It is through suffering that our faith is refined. That our character is refined that our love is refined it is through suffering that we fall out of love with this world and we long for heaven and to be with God it is through through suffering that we learn that we cannot depend on our own strength that we must depend on God there is no better weapon that God can use to kill your pride than humbling you through suffering To go to heaven, you must be made like a humble child who looks to his father for everything. It is suffering that teaches our souls to look to God for everything. Suffering empties us of ourselves so that we can be filled by God. Our ability to appreciate God, to adore God, to rejoice in God is increased as our dross is removed and God proves himself faithful to us through each and every hardship. Holiness is the way to happiness. Holiness is the way to heaven. Holiness is the most beautiful gem in the a person can have in this world? How do we get this all-important holiness? God brings it to us through trials and tribulations and troubles. Remember also that it is those who have walked through the deepest valleys who can appreciate best the highest heavens. It is those who have been taken the lowest, who most value the high places. And then there's that other reason that God has ordained salvation to be through a road of suffering, that he grows and strengthens our faith through suffering. Why suffering? He is displaying his glory through our suffering for the strengthening of his people, for the joy of his people and for the salvation of the lost. He is displaying his glory in our suffering. You see, church, everything else in the world is like trifles compared to seeing how great God is. So one of the ways that God cares for his children in this life is by giving them greater and greater glimpses of his glory. Glimpses of God's glory is our foretaste of heaven. We see God in creation. We see God in his word. And dear church, we see the greatness of God and the suffering of his people. Have you ever seen a man or a woman of faith die well with the praise of God upon their lips? Maybe that person is dying of cancer or some other terrible condition. But God's promises are proving a true help to them at the end of their lives. This person is on the brink of death. But this person is able to say goodbye to this world with peace and joy. This person is able to say, I'm ready to go see my Savior. When you see this, when you hear this, when you read of this, Does it not cause your heart to stand in awe at the God who has taken the sting out of death through his Son? There is not much in this world that is scarier than death. And it really shows the glory of God when his people are able to look death in the face and smile and say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Have you ever watched a person's life come crashing down around them? Have you ever seen a person like Job who seemed to lose everything and yet Job was still able to say blessed be the name of the Lord? When we meet people who have come to realize that real joy is not found in money or possessions or accomplishments or even earthly relationships but that real joy is found in knowing God does that not speak volumes to you? Read the story of Chuck Colson. Read how he went to prison for his role in the Watergate scandal. Everything he had lived for, everything he worked for, crumbling around him, his life an utter mess. And he finds Christ. And suddenly the loss of everything he had ever known means nothing to him because he has found something far better. You see, church, God is, glorified to a, God is glorified to a degree when I stand here in this pulpit and tell you how great God is. But when God is praised on the lips of suffering people, that's when how great God is is really seen in this world. In a world where most people have nothing solid that they believe in. In a world where most people have nothing solid that they rest upon, when God's people praise Him and a hold to Him in the midst of the storm, it says to the world, do you see the greatness of God? And often, very often, it is the suffering of God's people that God uses to bring others to give the gospel a fair listen and to be willing to hear it. How many would have never paid attention to the message of Christ had they not seen the example of suffering Christians? The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The fires were lit. The lions were set loose. Christians were drowned. Christians were decapitated. Christians were struck through with the sword. And as they were, they continued to praise God and bless God even as they died and the church exploded in growth because the rest of the Romans wanted to know this God who could give people such peace and joy in the face of death why must we suffer on our way to heaven it's not only through our suffering that God makes us holy but it's through our suffering well our suffering with Christ that other Christians find their faith strengthened and that the lost find themselves willing to hear the gospel And to consider it. Think hard on these things. See them in your Bible. And you may find yourself doing something really strange one of these days. Instead of asking God. Why would you send this suffering into my life? You may find yourself praying. Thank you God. For the privilege of suffering. With Christ. Like the apostles of old, you may find yourself rejoicing in the midst of your suffering and thanking God that he's chosen to use you for his good purposes. So we're done with this. Are there any here who find themselves without this badge of sonship? Are there any here who can say, I don't know what it is to suffer with Christ? this marks your life, praise God and persevere. By grace, a blood-bought crown awaits you. But if this doesn't mark your life, I plead with you to come to Christ and to trust Him. Follow Jesus. Pray for Him to save you. Be baptized in His name. Be a part of a healthy church and begin to live a life of trusting Jesus and walking down his path folks I'm not saying come to Jesus and you're going to be healthy wealthy and wise I'm saying follow Jesus and it's going to cost you and it's going to hurt and you're going to suffer but just like Jesus you will then be glorified and you will enter into heaven and you will behold the face of God and you will look back and say it was so worth it It was so worth it. Let's pray.